is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. Karen Hakobian, pianist and conductor of Pegasus the Orchestra, is no stranger to Center Stage. The Armenian-American musician has been a versatile force on the international music scene since his Carnegie Hall debut at age 17. And now he is treating us to a new project with Pegasus the Orchestra at Lincoln Center. On October 21st, he will present the orchestra and five soloists in the complete Rachmaninoff Piano Concerti in one evening performed by five different pianists. Now, everyone, I want you to really think about that in complete in one evening. What a feast. What a fantastic project. And Karen is here to tell us all about this magnificent idea, which will bathe us in the music of a romantic colossus. And isn't that the truth, Karen Hakobian? Absolutely, family. It's so wonderful to be back. It, it definitely is. And uh, this type of project, it's not, it does not happen every day, you know, <laughs> to hear all five Rachmaninoff Concerti. In fact, um, to my knowledge, it hasn't been done for about 50 years uh, in New York City. Uh, and who knows, maybe it'll be another 50 <laughs> before it's done again. So it's, it's something that, um, you know, to hear all of them in a single night and to actually get to perform all of them in a single night, you get to experience Rachmaninoff's evolution, you know, in his piano writing. And, you know, essentially, you know, you're, he, he's the piano writing, the piano concerti, I think best represent him as a composer, as a, as a musician, because he was a pianist composer after all, one of the greatest living pianists, in fact. So I think to go for this journey, not just for the audience, but also for the orchestra, you know, specifically, and for myself, it's, it's quite something, you know. It is indeed. So tell me honestly, was this something you just conceived, like maybe you went out with a few friends, had a few drinks and thought, hey, let's just do all the Rachmaninoff concerti in one night. Really, Karen, <laughs> this is a feat. No, definitely. Well, let me tell you where the inspiration actually came from. So one of our uh, board members, in fact, our vice chairman uh, of our board, uh, Luis Maisel, who has been presenting for, for so many uh, decades, so, uh, so many wonderful musicians and pianists in particular, you know, he's always had a great uh, interest in pianists. And that's how I got to meet him as well. It was as a pianist uh, first. Um, you know, he's always had this, you know, dream to have, you know, to present all five Rachmaninoff concerti in one night. So when he started to talk to me about this and uh, we started to brainstorm together, uh, and he said that he would support his project. It it all started to come together. You know, it's and um, he got me excited. <laughs> you know, and, and then as I started to think about this, uh, I really thought, wow, this this really is. If I were to do a so-called marathon, right, of all complete concerti of a composer, Rachmaninoff would be the one, because it's his his concerti surprisingly are quite diverse. You know, even though one thinks so, Rachmaninoff has this uh, overly you know, beautiful earth-like uh, element to his music, right? Very mm. sincere, very human. But at the same time, they are so different from one another, all, all five of them. And I keep saying five, essentially it's four and the Rhapsody, but um, it is written in a manner of a piano concerto, so we could... Absolutely. I mean, five. Absolutely. And I've just spoken to Dominic Cayley, and he's playing the Rachmaninoff number one. Yes. A, a concerto I, which, which I really don't know that much about. Yes. And he shed all this new light on this piece. I mean, it was really his, his first inspiration. 
at a time when it was really difficult for Rachmaninoff. And here you are taking us on this fantastic flight through many of his years of composing. And to hear this delicious music, it's it's really going to be overwhelming. I want to know, honestly, I know that... um, this is very physical. Rachmaninoff is very physical for the pianist. But yeah. let's talk about you because you're going to be on the podium all night. Are you training for this? Are you are you doing your own workout physically? <laughs> Absolutely, actually, because it's it's a little bit different. You know, for instance, if if you know one were to conduct an opera, as you know a little more about this subject than I, I do. Um, you know, operas are long. Of course, some can be three, four hours. Even Wagner's case, six hours, right? But there are moments that you you have time to breathe and, you know, it's not always, you know, driving forward constantly, right, with the arias and uh, there are lots of places. But with the concerti, you know, especially if we're dealing with five absolutely wonderful but different, very different soloists and musicians and concerti, which each with its own interpretive challenges, so to speak. Yes, you have to be on very on high alert, you know, f- mentally, emotionally, physically as well to, to communicate that to the orchestra. So yes, I would definitely say, I mean, it's a three and a half hour event with two intermissions and it's not uh, something I take lightly. And actually same, same goes for orchestra, you know, I mean, I'm really uh, proud of them as well for uh, being excited and taking on the project. Um, in, you know, which includes our concert master, includes all of our amazing musicians, because it is uh, a challenge, an, an exciting and a rewarding one, but definitely a challenge to put it all together in one night. I cannot wait. October 21st at Lincoln Center. Now, this is at Alice Tully Hall. Yes. So now on to the pianists. First, you will hear from Bulgarian-born Nadezhda Vlaeva, followed by Konstantin Sukovetsky and Fei-Fei Dong, all offering their insights into the romantic music of Rachmaninoff. Okay, so let's talk about you and what you're bringing to this fantastic marathon of Rachmaninoff concerti. I mean, listen, Nadezhda, let me get this right. You were born in Bulgaria, you're dividing your time equally between Europe and New York City. In addition to your performing career, you've recorded the music for the documentary film In Search of Cezanne. And Nadezhda is a Hyperion recording artist, and something tells me there is teaching in there as well. So already I'm getting dizzy. And There's also composing. <laughs> and composing, but I haven't even got to that yet. And I, as can, I, I cannot catch up with all my personalities. <laughs> Yes. So, so your business card has become quite large and quite lengthy. It surprises me all the time. <laughs> Catches me by surprise. And, yeah. And but uh, I think this uh, this concert is going to be something very memorable to hear all five concertos by different artists, all world class artists, and everybody comes with their. Uh, everybody will blossom in a different way that yes. evening. And I uh, will present the concerto number two by Rachmaninoff. Very exciting. Which is my favorite. And I feel so honored that I will perform this concerto because I feel like this concerto, especially for me, uh, it, it casts a spell over its listeners. Really? So um, the, the themes are so 
powerful, so melodic. So there isn't a theme there. There isn't a melody that one doesn't want to hear again and again and again. Mm -hmm. They're so emotional, so expressive, uh, so generous in, in, in beauty. So I, I just feel like this concert to be a, a piece that's beauty that never, never stops. And beauty for the for, for the ears, but it, it also inspires the imagination. And yes. um, for me, it's like a, a, a life uh, a put into word, into notes, so to say. And so I, I I can't wait to share this beautiful music with the audience. We, we can't wait for it either. In fact, I was just speaking to Dominic Cayley, who is playing the Rachmaninoff Concerto Number no. 1. So following on with you is absolutely perfect. You know, he was telling me about the beginnings of the first concerto and how important it was and how Rachmaninoff reworked it later on in his life after the third. But the second kind of comes in at a time when Rachmaninoff was feeling really successful. Am I right? Um, well, he actually had a three-year period in, we, in which he didn't write barely wrote the note because um, that was following his um, premiere, the premiere of his first symphony, which was very unsuccessful and um, was uh, met very harshly by the critics. And he fell into deep depression, uh, something that uh, full of self-doubt, uh, very, very lethargic. And he, could, he didn't want to write. He couldn't write for three mm -hmm. years. He writes uh, like something snapped in me and I couldn't do anything all day long except teaching lessons to keep me alive. So it was quite a, quite a difficult period. Then friends recommended to him Dr. Dahl, who was a therapist using suggestion and hypnosis. And he started making daily visits, visits to Dr. Dahl and he helped him bring him back on his feet. How exciting. And for me, that is so telling how the human spirit can prevail. Yes. And, and come back but so triumphantly with composing this gorgeous piece. Um, so when he composes, then he no doubt established himself as a world-class composer. And um, so that, that was his big comeback. Interesting. Composing. Very interesting. Welcome, Konstantin Sukovetsky, to Center Stage. What an important and monumental project you were involved with, with Karen Hokobian, the maestro of Pegasus, the orchestra, on October 21st in New York City at Lincoln Center. So first, we should talk about the fact that you're a bit of a rock star. You know, you're not just a concert pianist, you're an actor as well. Well, thank you. Yes, it was kind of by happenstance uh, professionally, but I was always, apparently my first stage appearance, I was reading poetry. I was four and I liked it so much that I read the poem again and then again. And then at some point Santa Claus had to remove me from stage because I wouldn't stop reading the poem over and over again. So I have this sort of thing about performing, whether it's piano or not. And uh, when I was a teenager, I ended up uh, on stage of Russian uh, Moscow State Theater in a play that was rather controversial. It was a French black satire comedy where I played the soul of the main character who was nine years old, but had the body of a grown man. 
and I was the child inside. And so that was my christening by fire as an actor. I was just thrown on stage with the leading actors of Russian cinema and theater. Uh, it was like all-star cast, and I was the kid in this very grown-up, very X-rated play, just having to kind of swim or sink, and I swam, <laughs> and I really enjoyed it. So, so I kind of uh, continued to do acting work as I went on to be a teenager in Moscow, and then when I came to New York, I kind of had to take a break from it because at Juilliard at the time, there was no idea of interdisciplinary collaborations. Right. I remember I asked, can I double major in drama? And they like, look at me like, what are you, you know, smacked your head in the pavement? <laughs> all right. So like, <laughs> no, that isn't done. And I realized, all right, so if it's a no, it's a no. And then oh, when I graduated, I kind of circled back into it and made a few films. There was actually an action movie on Amazon Prime called Dishonorable Vendetta, where I'm the main antagonist. They play Russian drug lord. I love it. That must be your alter ego there, Constance. <laughs> Everybody says that. <laughs> no, it couldn't be further from me. That way it was so much fun to play. You know, it's always fun to play people that are opposites of who you are. Exactly. The bad guy. Oh, my gosh. Well, good luck in that acting career, because I think it's a kaleidoscope of what we do as performers. Oh, absolutely. All right, so you're going to be on the stage with Pegasus, and you are playing, I believe, the Rachmaninoff Concerto Number no. 4. Now, this yes. is a piece I don't know a lot about. Can you take us into the world of Rachmaninoff in the Number no. 4? Well, it is a very dark Rachmaninoff. I'm playing the version of 1942, or the last version. He had revised it a couple of times. And it is a passion project of mine. I really wanted to play this concerto for over a decade. It's very difficult first to learn and then to put together with the orchestra. And I think that's part of the reason why it's not heard more often, just because it requires so much more work from everybody, from the maestro, from the orchestra players, and from the pianist. It's a very sophisticated form of Rachmaninoff. Rachmaninoff is generally a sophisticated composer. But if the tunes that we all know and love, you know, Full Moon and Empty Arms, right, from the second, <laughs> or Celine Dion taking it, the second concerto gets looted all the time, right, all by myself, you know, all of these tunes, right, they all just sort of, they sit on the downbeats, they're very clearly composed in a way that we know where the beginning of it is, where the middle of the phrase is, and where the end of the phrase is. Now with number four, we don't. What we have is complete asymmetry. We have asymmetry superimposed over another asymmetry and then another asymmetry on top of it, which makes it on one hand sound incredibly improvisatory. It sounds like uh, some portions of it, like a pianist is making it up as he goes or she goes, right? It completely in the moment. Uh, there is such an element of the uh, concept of jazz Hmm. Uh, and some of those sort of sounds that Rachmaninoff sponged up as he, you know, spent nights and nights in, in, in jazz clubs in Manhattan, which he has. So there's a lot of this kind of sound of Hollywood soundtrack and jazz world from the 30s and 40s. And of course, Hollywood copied Rachmaninoff, not the other way around. You bet. They tried to commission him a film score, but he was too expensive for them. Oh. So they hired lesser known composers and request that they compose in a Rachmaninoff style. That's why you get sort of the Warsaw Concerto thing in C minor that sounds like it's baby of Rachmaninoff two yes. and, um, and Technicolor. Yeah, yeah. That was pre-Technicolor and <laughs> whatever. I don't know. <laughs> That's a big nail. 
you're making a really good point right now and like slaughter on 10th Avenue and, and some of those other pieces that are faux Rachmaninoff, so to speak. Right. Maybe the world of, of John Williams as a composer, it came out of Rachmaninoff and not so yeah. much out of Strauss, you know? Well, absolutely. Well, John Williams, you know, is clearly influenced by a number of, of major classical composers. Rachmaninoff is amongst them, of course, and then there's Prokofiev. And then there's yes. Mahler and Wagner in, in his case, the leitmotifs. Star Wars wouldn't exist without Wagner, you know. That's right. All the leitmotifs clearly telling you the story, just like Wotan and, you know, and uh, in the Ring of the Nibelungs um, and the Valkyrie and all that stuff. So it, it's all interconnected. But in, in, in Rachmaninoff's fourth case, just because it's lesser known, people just don't ascribe as much importance to it, which I think is a huge error. That's too bad which we hope to correct with our project because it is incredibly accessible music. It is just so beautiful and melodious. It's just that the melodies are asymmetrical. They don't fall where you expect them to fall. They don't go where you expect them to go. And it requires an inside out kind of knowledge of the music and the entire score on my end and an extra time with the conductor on the end of the orchestra, which is a great luxury, of course, to have when you're working with a friend and a colleague such as Karen that, you know, we're meet regularly, we're meeting tomorrow again on Zoom this time, but we already met twice in New York, you know, at my apartment and I played through and we discussed it, we marked the score, we, we, we did the kind of legwork one never gets to do in an orchestral performance. Rachmaninoff spent his whole life, he was a man of faith very profoundly, so again, much unpublicized fact that he was working on liturgies his whole throughout his entire career starting mm -hmm. with the liturgy for the ascension of the virgin mary and then the saint chrysostoms and then of course the, the vigil the all night um vespers yes. and in that work he communicated via letters i mean it's all in his letters i have them i think they translated actually maybe one day i should um, there are three volumes of his letters, and there's a lot of correspondence with clergy where he's asking, how would you set this? How would you set this? What do you think about this? Is this correct? Is this not correct? And then the more one looks at it, the more one realizes that all of his most famous music, vocalies, for instance, or the yes. theme for the third piano concerto, they're actually Russian Orthodox chants. They were composed as a tablature from the 14th century, the same three note motifs. So if you disentangle, da da da, da da da, da da da, if you disentangle it from rhythm and harmony, you get a medieval Russian church chant. And the fourth concerto is full of it, just like the others, but the others are, are, are transformed further, whereas actually in the fourth, you hear almost liturgical passages, and then he uses harmony to make them sound almost jazzy. And then, of course, he does um, a very interesting thing. He was always fascinated and afraid of death, right? So he uses a lot of Dies Irae. He loves yes. that medieval Gregorian chant. Mm -hmm. And it, too, makes an appearance in the fourth concerto in a disembodied form. So we don't hear it sequentially, like da, 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 da. Yes. Like we do in a Paganini, for instance. Exactly. But what we exactly. hear is we hear da, 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 
Uh, so we hear them disjointed, four bars apart. But if you cre if you connect the dots, sort of like you know, like a detective in a serial killer movie, <laughs> you know, on your board, if you take a red thread and thread it together, you actually see that it's present there, and it's present there to the very kind of menacing effect. And he uses some of the sonorities from the Isle of the Dead, which is of course his symphonic poem, which course, describes yeah. the journey to the afterworld and what happens to us after death. And um, all of that is there. So it's, it's to me, it's very much alive with this incredible world of very dark, uh, very, you know, modernistic Rachmaninoff, the one that has given up on the, the sort of rosy glasses of the second concerto looking at the world through sable furs of Dr. Zhivago. That's all gone. Okay. I've got to admit right now, Constantine, I did not expect this kind of conversation from you this afternoon but i should have i should have and it is really really enlightening the rock star as professor here i adore this oh, thank you we have spoken to all of the piano soloists but one from pegasus the orchestra project of performing all rachmaninoff piano concerti in one evening at lincoln center on october 21st so now i have with me fei fei dong a beautiful young woman who is performing perhaps one of the most memorable of Rachmaninoff's concerti, and that is number three. Fei Fei Dong is a winner of the Concert Artists Guild competition in New York City and finalist in the 14th Van Cliburn International Piano Competition. And she was featured prominently in the documentary film about the Cliburn competition entitled Virtuosity. And I think, Feifei, as I welcome you to center stage, we can talk about virtuosity, can't we? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> because that really does sum up what you're doing, your work as an artist, your career, your very distinguished career, your work presently with the wonderful pianist Yefim Bronfman, uh, yes. as you do your, your doctoral candidacy mm -hmm. with him at Manhattan School of Music, that Pegasus the Orchestra and Karen Hakobian have you to play the Rachmaninoff Piano Concerto Number no. 3. So <laughs> with that, I need to ask you maybe the most important question. That sense of virtuosity is a thread that runs within all the Rachmaninoff Concerti. Mm -hmm. But the number three, what does it mean to you, Feifei? Um, Rachmaninoff is one of my favorite uh, composers as well as pianists um, um, and he himself, um, the many recordings um, he has recorded uh, is always so dear to my heart and when I was young growing up in China in city, a, a city part of uh, the Canton province across from Hong Kong, he was one of the first um, composers that I learned, uh, concertos, actually. His Rahmanov second piano concerto was the first piano concerto I ever learned when I was 11 years old. And after that, my piano teacher said, you are supposed to learn the hardest things when you are young. So the next thing I learned was his third piano concerto. So definitely, I feel like I have spent a lot of time over the years, just kind of marinating in my veins. And once in a while, I take it out and play. And I have played it quite a few times um, now, but I've also haven't played it in quite a while now. So I'm very excited. And it's been quite a journey to bring this piece back again. 
Okay, I have to get my head around the fact that you were 11 when you started working on these concerti. Do you happen to remember the wonderful film from 1996 called Shine that starred Jeffrey Resch? Oh, I don't think I have watched that. I have to check it out. (laughs) Which is about the fabulous, fabulous pianist, Australian David Helfgott. And um, his father pushed him too much in his Mm -hmm. piano studies. And he told his son that only if you played the Rachmaninoff three, would you ever be taken seriously in the world <laughs> of music? And of course that was too much for him. And, and mm-hmm. he really capitulated under the, um, the psychological pressure. It's a, it's mm-hmm. a wonderful film uh, way before your time, because you were so young. Yeah. You watch it actually. Yes. I'll have to watch it. Definitely. I remember when I was young and first started uh, learning the piece, it just feels like the entire page was black was filled with notes <laughs> in certain ways I'm very grateful that I learned the pieces when I was very young so it always feels very familiar and very close to me but on the other hand I also see a lot of the wrong things I did when I was young and it definitely I over the years I had um, to relearn it in many ways and redefine and re-understand the piece yeah. Wow. And yeah. what is its central message to you, Feifei? Is, is there a central message in the Rock 3? I think probably all of Rachmaninoff's music because he um, led such a tumultuous life, such a legendary life. And I feel like many know that um, when he moved to the U.S., he achieved a lot of fame and success, certainly. But I think many Uh, don't know that throughout his life, he almost uh, struggled constantly with depression. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel like a lot of his life, the struggles, um, the overcoming is reflected in his music. And I think probably particularly so in all of his concerto, but to me, I think in number two and number three, these are the most representative, I think of that. I just love his music so much because we hear the conflicting elements, um, sometimes absolutely very dark, very devastating, very depressed. Mm. But there is always that ever-present sense of hopefulness throughout his music. It's never like completely um, depressed. There's always that uh, longing and yearning, I think, which just makes his music absolutely heart-wrenching and just so relatable to so many, I think. Yes. <laughs> oh, there's no question about it. But as I've spoken to all the other pianists involved mm-hmm. in this project, the one thing we talk about is mm-hmm. the sincerity of the depth of the music. Mm-hmm. I don't think Rachmaninoff ever lies. Yes, you know? absolutely. Yes. Um, I don't know why sometimes I always think of a quote by um, Oscar Wilde. I don't know if it's related, but he says something. All of us live in the ghetto, but some look at the stars. And I feel like Rachmaninoff is one of those. He's definitely struggling something in a messy, deep something. But he's always looking up with so much sincerity, like you mentioned, and always with that sense of hopefulness that's just absolutely beautiful. Yeah. You know, I always say in every interview, there's a moment that's really special and you just gave it to us. That was oh. really, that was really beautiful. That was wonderful. Yeah. Really wonderful. I hope you are ready to buy your tickets for October 21st at Lincoln Center at Alice Tully Hall for Rachmaninoff Takes Flight with Pegasus, the orchestra. Thank you to all my guests behind this magnificent project and to all my listeners. Stay safe out there. This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is now down 
on Center Stage.